The Space God Memoirs. Episode 12 Both of my companions breathed sighs of contentment as we rounded the last alley's corner and came within sight of the lab. I let a bit of a smile appear in my lips, too. This was as close to home as any of us had known, ever since Vanda decided to move his operations from his own people's enclave to the better-protected Ganadria City, taking the project and us with him. It was nice to be back. The lab was an enormous iron drum, a cylinder over 50 feet high and 90 in diameter, rusted over from the years, its sides scrawled with indecipherable markings in the old script. Likely it had been once used as a granary or a place to store tools, munitions, or whatnot. I could see empty crates stacked outside, and as we drew closer I heard the faint sound of hammering and grinding gears from inside the door that led in. We stopped the cart and tied Gildar to a nearby rusted-over post. I began unlatching the cart when I spotted movement from the shadows of the doorway. Out stepped a familiar figure. Scrawny, bony, and skittish were three words I would use to describe Demmer, who is the main hands-on mechanic here, which was quite evident by his grease-covered overalls, strapped to the brim with even more tools than Rayleigh had. Hey, calf! he shouted as he ambled up to me, looking at me with his left eye squinting the pink tentacle that grew out of his right cheek, twitching amiably as he smiled. Good to see you, buddy, he said loudly. Burge, Rayleigh, welcome back. Hi to you too, Demmer, I responded. Check out the cart, by the way. Got the haul I was looking for. The gems I got for Ven, but the body parts are more for you. A bright smile on his disfigured face, Demmer's eyes lit up as he peeked under the tarp. Scragging awesome, man! He exclaimed, taking out the Hulk's metal head and stroking it gently with his fingers. How do you want us to get it all inside? I asked. We could take it apart and bring the Hulk down piece by piece. Hey, said Demmer. It's been six months and already you're talking business. Robin toughening you up. Nope, I replied, patting the mechanic's shoulder. I'm still a softie for sure. Straight up saved a girl's life on the way here, actually, and didn't even kill anybody. Saved a girl's life? You? He smiled, his cheek tentacle flapping with disbelief. So, you getting married or something? Or was she a princess who heaped a bunch of golden treasures on you? Uh, well, I began. She kind of ditched me. It was a weird one. Hmm, he said. You called someone a weird one. She must have been a real character. Yeah, I sighed. Most out-of-place girl I've ever met. The memory still swam through my mind like half-remembered dreams. Probably the prettiest, too. Demmer scratched his chin, shook his head, and then chuckled. Still pawning for her, I guess. Eh, you'll get over it. Demmer turned around and pulled a wooden box from the nearby entry. Start loading the parts in that, he began, handing it to me. There are five more inside. 
I think that'll do for your Hulk's body. Anyway, he continued as we began loading the spare parts into the boxes, I'm sure you'll meet plenty of girls now that you're back in the city. In fact, I may have a friend or two I could introduce you to. Thummer trailed off as he began to go through the cart, his hand running over every exposed wire, practically caressing the metal giant. There are a few days later than expected, he finally noted, as we finished loading a good portion of the Hulk. You know it, said Rayleigh. Lots of crazy stuff can happen when you're on the road, especially with this guy, she added, pointing at me. Yeah, kind of glad I'm out of that part of the business myself, Demmer responded. I mean, we had some pretty wild times hunting down junk in the ruins, but a few too many close calls with death for my comfort. What was it this time? Some weird critter crawling out of Soldra? Well, this fellow here gave Keth a bit of trouble, Rayleigh said, pointing to the Hulk's remains. But not too much creature problems other than that. Main thing was EO. Seems they're doing some kind of revival in the river towns. Encountered a few of their parties and even some red suits. Scrag, exclaimed Burge. If it wasn't for the knights showing up, they probably would have killed Kef. You, you met some knights? Asked Demmer, his jaw dropping. Yep, said Rayleigh. The Keeper herself, along with Vorse and Jettis. They were all perfectly polite and kind. Since I'm sure you'll ask... The Keeper's everything the stories say she is. Stoic, noble, and good. Hmm, responded Demmer. Just glad y'all survived the experience. You never know with our good old K.O.G. But, yep, heard them lot are back in town. Seen a few around myself. Even spotted Sir Alien up by the barracks yesterday. Had that refurbished blaster on him, too. Wow, Sir Alien, said Rayleigh, eyes growing wide. Yeah, replied Demmer, rolling his own eyes. Only man to survive the siege of Kungal, the killer of the Urvik beast. And wackier than a Morgamuncher, he added. Those knights all gotta be crazy. They give them that armor when they're, what, ten years old? Train them every day of their lives and pump their bodies full of screwed up drugs until all they know how to do is kill someone and protect the kingdom. They all die by about 30, so no personal lives either. Yep, all crazy. And from what I hear, aliens gotta be the worst. Rayleigh shook her head. They're not all crazy. But Kibra is noble and honest. She's never been known to hurt anyone who didn't deserve it. Ugh, shrugged Burge, shaking his head and looking at me. Let those two talk about their nights. We should get to work. Burge and I left the others to the talking as we concentrated on loading the remainder of the Hulk's body into five separate boxes. Soon enough, we were all carrying a box and heading inside. I skulked in the back of the line as Demmer led the way into the lab, skirting around the broken crates and empty metal barrels that lined both the entryway and inner corridor. At its end, we stepped into the lab. The sounds of the city all became a distant murmur behind those thick walls. The lab itself was in twilight, half-lit by raised quartz lamps that the crew had managed to reconstruct and hook up to one of the Vulda engines Ben had brought with him when he set this place up. The lights shone down on various devices laid across the tables. A maze work of interconnected copper tubes and wiring that went into and out of various vials and beakers, along with a mostly finished time-telling device that was supposedly run for years on a single charge-up from Ben's engine. 
Five techies, all dressed in long beige coats, were busy working at their stations. Three of them waved to us when we came in. The middle of the lab was dominated by a 10-foot-tall, 30-foot-wide object that was covered in canvas tarps. The ship. My old friend, Disa. I hoped she was ready for us. Birch took the lead as we walked inside, placing his box in a relatively empty corner. Me and Rayleigh did likewise. Oh yeah, I noted to Demmer. Last box is still up by the cart. And I guess I'll be picking that up, he said, his tentacle flapping. But I think there's someone else who needs to see you three first. He gestured to the far side of the covered ship. Leaving the other techies to muse over the Hulk's shattered corpse, we strolled over that way. There sat the man known as Ven. It was hard to miss Ven, one of the rare Vulda in the city. Ven certainly stood out, particularly since he rose to more than a head and a half above the next tallest person in the area, who happened to be the already tall Burge. Most of Ven's bulk was his carapace, a thick bulging shell which was a dark blue, almost black color. He stood on two spindly legs, while his other four appendages were busy tightening bolts, manipulating sensors, or moving pieces of equipment. His head was tiny compared to the rest of his body, spherical and topped with two long antennae. He glanced at me with his multifaceted, glossy eyes as I entered. He was a tough one to read, but I could tell he was happy. Welcome back, Mr. Cuff, said Ven with his buzzing yet resonant tone. I see you have returned, and with exactly what we needed. You are indeed a wise choice for this mission, young thief. I nodded and winked, raising one of the prized gems between two fingers. Ven rose to his full height, towering over me. Fascinating, he said. May I see? Sure, I muttered, placing the gemstone into Ven's outstretched hand. Lovely, said the Vulta as he turned the gem over. A wonderful carving on this specimen. Symmetrical, fourteen even faces. The quality that only a plasma drill would be capable of. Hmm, yes. I'm reminded of the work my sire performed for the Muntaki group back before things deteriorated. His sire? His father? I was not surprised. The Vulda were known for their long lives. It matches what you sent us to get, I said. Pretty sure it'll do. We shall have to test it and find out for certain, replied Ven once more running one of his other hands over the finely carved gemstone. Rayleigh, bring me the lift orb. Rayleigh plucked an object out of a nearby open box and placed it on the table next to them, onto a wooden stand. The lift orb, as they called it. Rayleigh had worked on it for months this past season, just before we headed south to check out Suldra. It was spherical, about the width of two fists, and made from polished bronze, with two parallel ridges running along its sides. Then nodded to Rayleigh, who proceeded to twist open the orb, revealing a small chamber inside. Then gently placed the gemstone within, closed the orb back up, and then placed it on its stand. Well, let's see how this goes, said Rayleigh as she pushed a well-hidden button on the orb's bottom. At first nothing happened, but within three seconds I began to hear a high-pitched hum coming from the device. The hum persisted for nearly ten seconds growing gradually in pitch until it couldn't really be heard at all. At that point, I began to feel the hairs on my neck stand up as the device lifted into the air, rising to a full three feet above its stand. For a while, the orb just hung there, perfectly motionless, utterly still. 
not moved by air or vibration, as if nailed to that single spot in space. Then Ven's spindly blue hand reached out and grabbed it, once more touching the activator button and disabling whatever sorcery had held it there. He placed it back on the stand. It is suitable for the ship, was all Ven said. Demmer walked back to the center of the room, grabbed a hold of the tarp and pulled it back. Beneath it lay the old ship I'd seen so many times. A disc-shaped craft that had probably been used as a transport. While it only had room for one pilot and passenger up front, its rear chamber could hold about a dozen folks. In the lab's artificial light, the ship's silvery hull gleamed, all polished and dandy. A proper window had finally been installed in the front. Even the old lettering over the door had been redone. The designation D1-SA in bright red ink. I couldn't help but smile as I looked at the old ship, all shiny and fresh. I reached down and touched the hull, cool and smooth under my hand. A slight tingle ran across the palm of my hand and up into my arm. Already there was a familiar pulse in the back of my head, like the ship was greeting me. Since that first time five years ago, I had sat in the pilot's chair uncounted times, practicing trying to connect to the ship's semi-functional computer using all those weird breathing exercises Ven taught me. You may activate it, pilot, said the Vulda, taking the gemstone from the lift orb and placing it in my hand. I grasped it firmly, using my other hand to pull open the ship's door. My hand was shaking. My back muscles were all tensed up. I sat in the chair, now newly upholstered with mugahide. Everything else was all the same, but fixed up and clean. The dashboard controls all in their proper places. The handprints on the armrests there as I remembered them. I paused a moment, steadying myself. Then I looked to my right, where a small hatch was open in the floor, revealing the shift engine, sitting just above a donut-shaped container full of liquid mercury. I took the gemstone and placed it within, into a slot designed to fit it perfectly. It clicked into place, and immediately I could hear a resounding hum throughout the cockpit. I shut the hatch and sat back in the seat. As I placed my hands into the familiar imprints, I closed my eyes and took a deep breath. Three counts in, three counts out. As I breathed out, I intentionally breathed into the hand panels, just like Ven had taught me. A presence rushed upon me. It was like before, but different. More intense, but also more coherent. Cleaner. I opened my eyes to see the panel in front of me backlit with a blue light. Every instrument illuminated. When I glanced at each one, I could instantly tell their function, even the ones that had been obscure to me before, as if Disa's mind was subtly letting me know how it worked. It was in the back of my head, a tingle in my brain, gently prodding me as if to ask, What do you need? Hover, I thought at the ship, elation surging within me. I couldn't feel any movement, but saw my vantage point rising just a few feet. Disa remained there, suspended in the air just like the lift orb. Again, I breathed into the controls and directed the ship to rise higher. I could feel my heart beating faster, my mind racing with the possibilities. It was like the entire universe was open before me, like I was now free, liberated from this dusty rock. I could go anywhere, do anything. Then it all stopped with a crash. I felt a heavy thud as we hit the ground, the cockpit shaking. The dashboard light dimmed and went out. 
my connection to the ship's mind fading just as rapidly. I opened the door to mild fanfare and pleasant smiles. The test had worked. The ship could fly. Sort of. Everyone seemed to be elated, save for Ven, who just stood there, both sets of arms folded over his abdomen. He knew that we still had a ways to go. As did I. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Space God Memoirs. Space God is written, performed, and produced by A.M. Arctos. Original musical score by Alpha Colors. Various sound effects created by Industrial Strength Records Incorporated. Please support this podcast by following, rating, and sharing on your favorite social media site. For further info on Space God, its creator, and various other opinions, musings, and thoughts, go to www.spacegodmemoirs.com or follow me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. If you enjoyed the Space God Memoirs, please consider supporting us by becoming a patron. Check out the Patreon link in our description to learn more.